0: Hello and welcome to this episode of Superhero Ethics. Today we are talking about ethical questions from Spider-Man No Way Home. We're looking at Spider-Man's actions. We're looking at the actions of the villains and do they have agency? We're looking at how are these things different metaphors? And we're also gonna be asking a couple of questions about why are we releasing this now? All that and more after a commercial break, we have no control over. Welcome back. This is Matthew, your host. I'm joined by uh erstwhile guest, occasionally co-host, but really just a guest at large, uh, Mr. Paul Hoppy. Paul, how are we doing today? Doing very well. Thank you. Cool. Cool. Well, let me start by just explaining, because some folks had wondered, why didn't we put out an episode when this movie came out in theaters? And why are we putting it out now? And the reason is simple. We're putting this out now because now every person has access to this movie. Obviously, as we're recording this, we're still in kind of a, a transition period with COVID. Many things are getting better. Many people are still have some very legitimate concerns. And when the movie came out in theaters, that was great. I found a way that I was comfortable watching it, but not everybody did. And I'm a big believer that I want everyone to have, have access to these movies. Frankly, I think it's outrageous that the, the companies aren't doing the automatic release on both um, online and theaters the way they were doing for a while. That's not something I think we're going to uh, have the ability to change anytime soon, but uh, certainly I would love it if, if uh, companies went back to that. But but the important point is, I think, A, because Paul hadn't seen it before until now, but just also for the many other viewers who probably hadn't seen it because they were waiting for online, either for their own concerns or because they live in a part of the world where it's not safe or not even possible to go. I think our general attitude is going to be when things are not released online, Sometimes this won't be the case, but for the most part, we're gonna hold off on recording about them until they are available for everyone.
1: Yeah, I mean, I really appreciate that. I, I've got a lot of thoughts about this movie and I'm I'm looking forward to, to talking about a lot of the the decisions that go into the movie, you know, within the movie, within the context of the movie. Uh, you know, the decisions that went on external to the movie about how to release it and Stuff like that, how to market it, I think, are, are also interesting. I think we've talked about that a lot on a bunch of other yeah. episodes. So, you know, I won't rehash all of, you know, my position. People can go back and listen to, I think, the year-end summary was the one where, you know, mm-hmm. where I, I went over that the most from from my point of view. I mean, the only movie I've gone to see in the last two years and change is Shang-Chi. And mm-hmm. that was actually only to do it for the podcast and I went to a drive-in, which yeah. was a, I mean, I watched the movie online uh, some number of months later, and I was like, "Oh, this this is much better." Like, it's just a <laughs> it's a viewing experience I like more. And yeah. there's there's things that I know there's things that some people feel. I mean, there's things there's a different experience in a theater, right? And sure. there's definitely a different experience in a car. Uh, you know, a hundred feet away from a screen. That's that's another thing, right? I I appreciate that there's things about the theater that people love. Um, You know, I think exactly when this movie came out, things were obviously a lot worse than they are now. Right. You know, Mm -hmm. but regardless, I mean, for a lot of people, even way before any pandemic, there were reasons that people would rather see a movie at home, you know? And so I think having that as an option, I think is fantastic. And, you know, I, I did a lot of acrobatic spoiler dodging to, <laughs> you know, <laughs> to kind of not know exactly what happened throughout the entire movie. Um, and that was fairly successful. Uh, unfortunately, the post credit screen is just a straight-up trailer for another movie. Yeah. And I was like, wait, <clears throat> what? Oh, okay, I wasn't going to wa- Okay, whatever.
0: That, that is the first time I have walked out of a Marvel movie before the final credits since I knew that was a thing. Because the mid credit scene, there is some cool stuff. We learn a little bit more about mm-hmm. Venom and Venom being a part of this universe somehow. But I don't want to watch a trailer for Doctor Strange because I don't want to be spoiled. And I'm very glad someone told me that because I just walk out. So anyway, as you said, Paul, we've talked about that before. But I just wanted to explain to people why we're uh, releasing this now and why we'll probably continue to do that. I'm not going to promise it's going to be forever. There might be a movie where I know especially Paul is not as interested in it. Someone else I know has seen it, but we're going to try as much as possible because I just think it's a it's an equity issue. So with that, we're going to dive into the ethical question specifically. But I want to start just kind of general thoughts. What was your overall thought about this movie? Ah, uh, I'd say my
1: review was I found it fifty percent charming, fifty percent kind of boring, fifty percent insufferable, and fifty percent <laughs> too long. And the math does check out, by the way.
0: Okay. Now, it sounds like that's only like one quarter liking the movie, except it's 50% of 200%. So
1: Right. Well, it's 150%, but 50% of that 150% was too long. Therefore, it's all, all that's why it's 100%, so it works out. There, there was a half movie worth of stuff I really enjoyed. Nice. So I enjoyed that part. What was some of the stuff you enjoyed? I really liked The Three Spider-Man. You know, yeah. or three Spider-Mans, if you want to put it that way. I enjoyed the interplay between them. I thought there were a lot of really nice moments. You know, I'm not sure how much each of them really matches up with their original portrayal in their earlier movies. But some time mm-hmm. has obviously passed for each of those characters um, who are coming from their other movies. Uh, that, you know, the it's weird to say a movie felt 50% long. Um, but that the end didn't feel like it dragged to me. Yeah. For some reason, the end, did. it, it, it was the beginning, the beginning felt like it dragged to me.
0: Mm, that's fair. And that's then fair. there
1: were some moments that I just really didn't like. And I also loved the concept of trying to help your villains. I mean, after the like 10 Batman episodes we've just done, you know, I think <laughs> like we were talking about really wanting to see kind of something sort of like this in some ways. And I think you kind of were like, Oh, let's touch. Let's circle back to that, right? Yeah, and and I appreciate and this was know, exactly the lack why because I knew you
0: hadn't seen Spider Man yet, but I knew this was exactly what was going to come up. Right,
1: of course, and and um, yeah, I I really love that concept. The execution mm-hmm. left something to be desired from for me, Yeah. and I do think that it brings up a lot of great stuff for us to talk about on this show. So, yeah that's that's kind of like what i really liked and was intrigued by and i'm gonna enjoy discussing
0: yeah it's funny i had a very different experience in the movie and i wonder if it's in part because i saw it in a theater because in the movie i had a fantastic time Mm. i i especially i was in a place where i'd seen loki i think i'd seen the eternals before this i don't remember the order of that maybe i'd seen the eternals after but i was definitely not in a like happy with marvel kind of a place right And I just found this was like two really fun hours to spend in the theater. And then I got out of the theater and I started talking to people about the movie and I started thinking more about it. And I was like – I knew in the movie that I disagreed with Peter's actions. Mm -hmm. And we'll talk about that. I think it's going to be a big crux of what we get into with the ethics of this movie. But it was also that kind of thing where once I was out of the movie, I was like, oh, yeah, that didn't really make sense. Oh, yeah, I didn't really love that. I didn't really love – but in the time and place, I just had a great time. And right. I do wonder if part of that's because I was surrounded by a bunch of other people who were all laughing at the same jokes, mm-hmm. who were all kind of cheering at the fun moments. And I wonder if that was – and I don't think it's a bad thing, but I wonder if that is part of the, the theater experience you can have, getting kind of wrapped up in it and caught up in it.
1: Yeah, I can see that for sure. I mean I, I remember going to see you know the Star Wars re-releases. And mm-hmm. the feelings, uh, the feeling of like the way the crowd was reacting was a very big part of the experience. Now, I'd already seen the movies. The, you know, I'm talking about the right. kind of like remastered, like, yeah, slash butchered versions that George Guido Lucas does kept.
0: not shoot first, but the, that one does. But yeah, exactly. Right,
1: exactly. And the sort of like cheering every time a character comes on for the first time, I can see how that's a part of an experience, you know, and how yeah. that can kind of change the the lens through which then future parts of the movie are felt and or kind of maybe sometimes even glossed over like there's sometimes lines that'll happen after some big moment and like we won't catch it if the theater's really loud like you literally just yeah. can't hear it right whereas at home you know unless you're with someone who's who's really loud while watching yeah you know it's it's a very it can be a very different experience
0: there were two other things that I really liked about this movie and there there's a co- I'm mean, going to use these kind of segues because these are kind of ethical issues in terms of how movies are made, but also just I think things are great. I I The term America's sweetheart has never really made sense to me in terms of there being like one actress who just – you can't help but fall in love with her a little bit anytime she's on screen. Mm-hmm. Except Zendaya to me now kind of makes me get that concept because okay. I found her so incredibly charming as uh, – and, and I mean it's not – in part, it's, I think, because I just re-watched the earlier movies like a week beforehand. Kirsten Dunst is a fantastic actress. I think this is the writing, but she's just so boring as MJ. Mm. And the, the portrayal of Gwen is better, I think, in the second set of movies, but still, this MJ has agency. She has relatability. She pursues Spider-Man and Peter Parker as much as he pursues her, and I just... Now I've watched the TV show Euphoria in which she's playing such a different character. And I now just have so much respect for her as an actress. But even beyond that, I found her presence in the movie so wonderful. And and adding to the story, but also adding to my enjoyment of it all. Yeah, I could see that. I mean,
1: I've really enjoyed her MJ throughout all three movies. Um, Homecoming was by far my favorite Spider-Man movie of Mm -hmm. this trio. It's pretty much on a level with the original, the very first Spider-Man movie. Right. And I think, I, I actually had a very similar experience of watching Homecoming, where I was kind of like, eh, I, wasn't, I just wasn't that excited. Like, I I felt like I'd seen so many superhero movies in kind of a short period of time, and I just kind of went to see it. And I was like, oh, oh, this, this, this is great. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> you know? Um, and she was a big part of that, even though she wasn't as pitiful as pivotal a character in that one. Um, But then also her and the relationship between her and Peter in, in far from home was one of my favorite parts of that movie. And then here also, I think she was great. I, I feel a little bit like she was maybe like underutilized. I think that's fair.
0: But at the same time, I also think the movie was too long. So I, I I mean, it's one of those things that we keep getting into where I, I still have not, I have yet to see something in the last year or so as a movie where I didn't think that was fun, but I think it might've been better as a six to eight episode series. Oh, yeah. This one, I feel like, yeah, it felt very long in some ways, but also a lot of, there are a lot of stories that I wish they'd spent more time with and and her and Ned, I think were definitely one. Yeah.
1: You mentioned spending an enjoyable two and a half, two hours at the movie, but it was two and a half hours. Just for, yeah. the, just for the record. I mean, not as bad as the the new Batman being three hours and I mean, we're not in <laughs> Snyder territory or anything. But I agree. I feel like you could have told a longer story in a different format, you know? Right. I feel like for being a movie, it felt like there were just parts that felt to me like sort of superfluous given mm-hmm. how much other stuff
0: was kind of going on. And I don't know. It, it just... Well, especially because, and this is, I think, one of the things that I I was most excited for you to learn about, and I found out you got spoiled on, but even then, like, it, it thrilled me in the moment, but I was also very disappointed in terms of what it could be. You and I talked a lot while we were watching the Netflix shows that one of the reasons why we loved the Matt Murdock Daredevil character, at least I certainly did, and I think you had some thoughts about this as well, is the idea of addressing legal questions Mm -hmm. in the Marvel universe, Mm -hmm. around the Sokovia Accords, around all of that. And I know that in the Daredevil comics, there's a lot of that. You know, Daredevil is the lawyer who argues about uh, Sokovia Court. I think he is Spider-Man's lawyer. Right. And when Spider-Man like reveals himself. And so that opens up all of these awesome questions about the legality of the Sokovia Accords and someone like Peter and what's the responsibility and what isn't. And so when Matt appeared on screen, I mean, first I just went absolutely wild. I was like, thank God, Daredevil's in it. I managed to avoid the spoiler about it. And the him catching the brick was a brilliant moment. But then when I realized, wait, no, this is going to short circuit all the interesting legal questions that the second movie set up, we are going to completely ignore Mm -hmm. and just have Matt wrap it all up on screen. I was pretty disappointed by that, both because it's underutilizing Matt, but also because Matt should be this entry point to this whole world of ethical questions that we just completely ignored
1: yeah so just a little a sidebar on the matt murdoch appearance i had known that this was probably what happened mm-hmm. but nobody had verbally confirmed it to me until right. someone did who hadn't even seen the movie did spoil it by accident Mm -hmm. But then the very next day I saw a YouTube thumbnail that like showed the whole thing. And I'm like, okay, Oh no! I'm like, please don't feel bad about spoiling it because YouTube did that literally right after, like within 12 Mm -hmm. hours. The fact that I was able to dodge that until like mid March, I think is, is pretty amazing. Definitely. But, and I appreciate you not mentioning it. I do think that it's kind of like a sort of perfunctory fan service cameo. Where it's yep. like, oh, yeah, there's Charlie Cox as Matt Murdock. And we know he's Daredevil. Except maybe in this universe he's not yet. Uh, we don't know. But like, and he caught a brick. Oh, okay. Yeah. And then, then yeah. that's it. It's like, it was just, it, he was basically there as a means of delivering the exposition that you don't actually have to worry about this from a legal sense. Which to me was like, this whole idea of the identity reveal, reveal was like the big stinger at the end of Far From Home. Which I wasn't crazy about. I didn't didn't love the end of Far From Home. And I have some issues with the movie. I didn't hate it either. Um, But it's here then it was just kind of like they're like we're going to spend half an hour or 20 minutes showing how this is like really a problem and a big deal and then make it totally irrelevant. And I was like okay. Like maybe you could have just not even done that 20 minutes. Or you could have made a movie about that. But I feel like this very much wasn't a movie about that. Whether it's the legal issues or the actual ramifications of his identity being revealed. It was the whole movie was about the ramifications of irresponsible use of magic. Irresponsible use of magic.
0: Yeah, <clears throat> I think that's a good way to say it. And I, to me, it didn't feel like a cameo. In part because I mean, it's funny. Literally walking out of the theater after seeing Far From Home, I turned to my partner and was like, "You know what this means? Spider-Man's in legal trouble. That's how we get Matt Murdock into the MCU." Right. So it felt like, in some ways, yeah, it didn't feel like a surprise because that that's what happens in the comics. It's so perfect. Mm-hmm. And I think for me, one thing you and I talked about a while ago, maybe I was more on the side, is that I was I was kind of okay with cameos in terms of, if here's the person who should show up for this 30 seconds, right. don't give us some random person. Just give us that person, yeah. you know? And and so to that degree, I liked it. I would have liked more of it, but I, I understood why it wasn't going to happen. But yeah, it, it just sucked to me that like we then didn't get... Everything else, you know, all the other questions about the legality of it. So, the one other kind of little thing I wanted to to throw in, and this isn't as much an ethics issue as just sort of like Hollywood politics stuff, I mean, politics, but just kind of dealing with the past. I have always thought that the Andrew Garfield movies were, well, let me back up a second. I didn't watch the Andrew Garfield movies for a long time Mm. because I thought the original Toby Maguire movies were great. I hated the idea of remaking them like five years later. Innocent me who thought that would be a one-time thing. <laughs> which, yeah, that's just how everything right? is now. But yeah, I mean, now it's like not even a big deal. And then I just heard all this bad stuff about them and all these people who didn't like them and mm-hmm. so I never watched them. And so I finally got around to watching them to get ready for this movie. And I absolutely loved them. Mm. And I thought Garfield was fantastic. And then I saw Garfield in Tick, Tick, Boom, which I thought he was very, very good in as well. And so having him come back into this, like Toby Maguire was fun too, a youth pastor joke was a fun joke, but having Garfield come back and be able to be heroic and be beloved by the audience again, and and then especially him getting, you know, the the totally traumatic moment of him trying to save Gwen and it not working, and then we'd never get the movie that's the payoff to that, of Mm. him dealing with that trauma. Having him come back, be a hero, him, he being the first one to come back before Tommy McGuire. my audience, just everyone cheered so loud when he pulled off that mask and you saw Mm -hmm. who it was. And then him getting to literally save MJ in almost the same way that he didn't save Gwen.
1: Right after Peter One didn't.
0: Right. Peter One tried, Green Goblin knocked him out of the way so he couldn't. And you see MJ's moment where she knows that and she's like, I'm about to die. And then he saves her, and she's, like, choked up, but he's choked up. And, yeah. she, like, she's literally just had this I'm-about-to-die experience, and she's like, are you okay? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it just – I, I saw it in the theater the first time I saw it, and it just it, – it meant so much to me to give Garfield that moment again.
1: Yeah, I I, I did think that was a really powerful moment. Um, I, I thought he was very good in this movie. I, I feel like he wasn't my main problem with the uh, – the amazing spider-man movies i i didn't mm-hmm. particularly like them at the time i felt like they were just doing some really weird stuff with the character and but that that's you know i'm not trying to convince anyone not to like them you know yeah
0: i mean i think the lizard man is the most boring of villains and mm. as shown by the fact that he's barely utilized in this right movie. right
1: exactly <laughs> like was, was he, he was in this movie wasn't he yeah but but yeah it it I liked him better in this than, than in those ones. And there were things in those movies that I liked, I guess, but, uh, but yeah, I didn't do the whole rewatch, you know, the 10 movies that you need to watch to have the full context (laughs) for this. Um, maybe it's even more than that. If, if you include the Venoms and infinity war and civil war, and I just
0: watched the, all the movies that had the actual Spider-Man in the title. So the three Tobey Maguire's, the, the, so for me, it was seven. seven three Tobey right. Maguires, two Garfields, and then two uh, Tom Hollands. Right.
1: And then there's like another three like MCU movies, and then there's two Venom mo- movies. So mm-hmm. I guess we're up to 12. You need to watch 12 movies for the full context of this, plus the Netflix uh, Daredevil series.
0: Right.
1: <laughs> and I guess Doctor Strange also you should probably watch.
0: So Yeah. Yeah. So let's get into some of the actual specific questions, because I do think there were some great ethical questions in this movie. Peter being outed. I know you said you didn't love that necessarily. So let's start with like all the stuff around Peter getting outed and his identity. We talked about how I wish there'd been more about the legal side of it, but I did really like getting to explore this question of kind of where does superhero culture interact with celebrity culture? Mm. So I feel like that's something that's never really been fully addressed, and I, I did think there was something kind of brilliant in this whole idea of the media loves him, the public loves him, but the moment there's any kind of hint of scandal, everybody turns on him immediately.
1: Right, but not like everybody, like a large section of people. Right. And it's it's very polarizing, right? It seems right. because clearly he still had a ton of huge supporters, but there right. were some very vocal um you know, people who who wanted to be like, oh, I knew all along, blah, blah, blah. This and that was a conspiracy and blah, blah, blah. I I do think it's an interesting kind of, you know, take on celebrity culture and what how that would interact with there being superheroes. Mm-hmm. I kind of feel like what with half of the world being snapped out of existence and then being brought back and all that stuff and, you know, the Avengers having stopped that or like undone it or whatever. It's it's kind of unclear how much people know about whatever actually happened, but yeah. there are extents to which I I find it a little less I find some of that less credible in the context of the whole MCU than I would have if it hadn't if like there hadn't been so many savings of the world. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like if all the other movies had been lower stakes, Or Spider-Man had been more of just, like, a neighborhood hero. Mm -hmm. I feel like that would have been more, it it, it would have felt more realistic to me. Whereas it feels a little bit, I'm sort of like, okay, sure. Like, I I feel like it it would be a much smaller percentage of people who would actually have this kind of negative reaction. It's like, you know, and, you know, all the things that we already know can be faked. Like, it's so... Easy for somebody to be like, oh, that's obviously taken out of context, or blah 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 blah. Right. You know, and maybe even cut together something else where it's like it shows someone saying the opposite, or whatever, or like saying there's someone else, or blah 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 blah. You know, mm-hmm. and so yeah, I I think that's a very interesting thing to explore. It didn't really play quite right for me. That's fair. The government involvement was kind of the bigger problem for me with the like there were the legal issues, but then there weren't, and then there were like all of those you know, stormtroopers there basically when mm-hmm. um at, at Happy's condo. But then like on the Statue of Liberty, like no police show up at all. No military. Yeah. You know, it's like uh it, it felt inconsistent in that regard to me. It felt like they wanted to play certain notes, but then kind of ignore that consequence. Yeah. So it felt like it lacks continuity to me. But I think it's a very interesting topic.
0: And I, I think the inconsistency is a very fair point because it, it does feel like to me, ever since Civil War People in this universe have cared about Sokovia chords as much or as little as they need to to suit the plot. Yeah, and I, I kind of felt like at this point I sort of feel like okay, each movie is going to set the exact parameters of where those dials are, and it's not really going to fit the rest of the movies. But that's fine. But you're right. I think it doesn't line up. And, and just to be clear, I think when I when I talked about everyone turning against him. What I was more talking about is I feel like it, it it is an interesting picture of the anatomy of a scandal like that. In, mm. that, in that first moment, the, the crowd watching, everyone seems to turn against him. And they even turn right. against MJ at first. You know, like, yeah. oh, you're his girlfriend, et cetera. And part of it's a curiosity more than a hate, but there is definitely a lot of the hate. But then you're right. Then he gets his story out and the legal stuff changes. And then we get to the point where – in what I did love, that scene in the school – where the two teachers are oh, like, no, great. we love you. You're great. And the one's like, we don't trust you. I believe, you know, uh, Mysterio and all that kind of yeah. stuff. No,
1: I, I thought that that scene itself, I think, was fantastic. Um, more like that would have been great. Yeah. And I I agree that it that is kind of how they portrayed it or whatever. And, and that first scene did feel like everyone was against him. And I think they were trying to give you that impression. And then they were trying to be like, oh, well, actually, it's more like this. And And that's fair. Yeah. But, yeah, that, that scene in the school was – that was that was one of the, the best, like, funny scenes that was kind of
0: just there for – Yeah, exactly. In terms of consistency, I will say as someone who has a little – you know, who has been to college and has read an article about a college ever, the idea that every college in America would not want controversy. <laughs> like, that they wouldn't want the right. huge media storm of everyone taught ta- like, MIT saying no, fine. Ivy League saying no, fine. But, like – Vassar, the school I went to, which is in New York State, a very good school, not the tier. They would love Spider Man to come to their campus, you know? Yeah. To me, I think one of the main ethical questions of this movie, and the first one I really want us to dive into. So, this starts with so much of the movie seems to be about Peter's desire to fix things Mm -hmm. and this overarching question of, you know, does great power come with responsibility? Because, and we'll talk about the specific moments, but I feel like overall, I think Peter, and especially what the other Peters talk him into, is just dead wrong. Like, it seems so often he's trying to fix things without giving other people agency and kind of, like, without thinking of the consequences. And granted, some of that he realizes, but what do you kind of think of Peter Roval in this movie? Terrible. No, I mean, I, I
1: feel like throughout the movie, Peter wants to do things that he thinks will help people. I think that's yep. clearly his primary motivation, right? So clearly nothing he does is out of like evil or malice except trying to kill a goblin. But aside from that, he's very much, I'm going to try to help people. I think a lot of it is very misguided and um, they're very poorly thought out mm-hmm. and, you know, whether or not he's consulting with the people he's trying to help, I think is a really big issue.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: You know, Dr. Strange. It's, it's funny. It's like the, you know, the first movie, I mean, homecoming, right. Dealt with Tony Stark, this very powerful, not super responsible person, Mm -hmm. you know, kind of mentoring Peter and helping him do some stuff and whatever. Uh, But then also kind of not mentoring him and then some of what i thought were the best parts of far from home aside from you know mj and and ned and and that dynamic were um the sort of the the dealing with the loss of tony right yeah and you know i kind of in this movie i was like didn't we just have this whole like grieving thing like do do we mm-hmm. do we have to do this again Here, then, they replace this kind of irresponsible, sort of mentor-ish, kind of older figure with with another very powerful, not super responsible, you know, (laughs) not the best judgment all the time, um, you know, very egotistical. I mean, I've seen people draw comparisons between, like, Doctor Strange and and Tony Stark, and I I think they're reasonable, you know?
0: Yeah. and I, I think especially because since Tony Stark left... I think they've emphasized those parts of strangers care. Strangers kind of become more of that role in the MCU.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think so. The the whole thing from the beginning is like, you're going to mind wipe the entire planet Mm -hmm. so that you and your friends, particularly your friends, that's the good hearted part, right? It's not totally selfish, but like, so your friends can get Mm -hmm. into college. When you also have connections with like the biggest tech company in the world and right. like probably you don't need to go to college. What do you need to go to college for? You could get, you know, like get some kind of a grant from Pepper. Talk, go talk to Pepper. Go talk to Pepper <laughs> Potts. Don't talk to Dr. Strange. There was a very non-magical solution.
0: I'm not as anti-college as you are. I think college can be a great experience. I think if there's a line to get Pepper Potts to pay for things, it starts with Falcon mm. because like... <laughs> Someone should be paying yeah. these people a salary. Right, right, right. The idea that they couldn't go in and be like, can the Stark Foundation like pull its funding from MIT unless it stops being dumb or just like offer a huge grant to Caltech or something? Because there's lots of other great colleges. Or just make stuff. a new
1: school. Like,
0: Yeah, I mean, that, that could work too. I think one of the things I liked so much about this movie is that it. it I enjoyed a movie about characters making ethical choices I fundamentally disagreed with. Mm-hmm. Normally, that makes me dislike a movie. I think the thing mm-hmm. is, I 100% believed that these are the choices that Spider-Man would make, especially because I think the thing with college is, and this is why I kind of hate the great power comes great responsibility, I think Peter Parker is is showing the danger of that, is showing the 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 kind of white knight, sin, well, white knight often has a lot of sexist connotations, I don't mean it in that way, but like, you know... I'm a recovering codependent. I know mm-hmm. what it's like to define your identity in terms of your ability to help people. Right. And it can be very destructive. And it can lead you to helping people who don't want to be helped, or helping people without them consent, you know, without their agency or without their consent. And also it can lead to a feeling of taking responsibility for everything in the world and thus feeling guilty for everything. And I feel like from, from Peter's perspective, It's not that he thinks that them getting into college has to happen. It's that it is his fault they can't get into college and that they are being punished for their connection to him. And so he has a responsibility to fix that. The healthy thing is for Strange to sit him down and be like, I hear what you're coming from, but let me tell you why that's nonsense and you shouldn't feel this and you can't fix it based on that. But I did feel like what Peter does, everything Peter does, makes total sense especially after he's told with great power comes great responsibility which by the way we did a whole episode on why that's not always the best way to live your life but but yeah i i so i think for me like i i totally disagree with his actions we'll get into more of that later but it felt at least totally believable to me
1: yeah for the most part most of the actions i agree with that in terms Mm. of I don't mind seeing a movie where I don't agree with all the actions of the protagonist. That's, that's fine. Yeah. Um, I like it when I feel like they're coming from a place of good intention, but sometimes doing something that's misguided. I, I, I will say ocw.mit.edu open courseware could have just gone there, done all the classes online. <laughs> yeah. I, I think the, the main thing, and, and MJ calls him out on this. And I think that's great is being like, hey, we decided to help you, right? Like we had agency in that. And if you want to try and, you know, kind of remove the consequences for that by like trying to get us in, then you should talk to us about that, right? Like don't just go trying to do world-altering things on our behalf, like talk to us about it and we can talk it through. And maybe we're like, oh yeah, that's a great idea. Go do that. Talk to your buddy Strange. Or, like, right. maybe we'll be like, whoa, 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 whoa. It's okay. Like, we'll figure it out, you know. We'll take a year off. Like, things will cool down, and then we'll get in somewhere in a year. Like, you right. know. Or we'll go to MIT Open Courseware online. Like, whatever. Like, to <laughs> workshop it, you know. Yeah. Speaking of which, when you're about to cast... A world-altering spell. Maybe workshop it first to be like the. This is the fine print. Let's talk about. it. I was be yeah. like, oh, let's let's start doing this, mm, and then oh, okay, yeah. Oh, what do you want to do? You want add
0: add some paprika. Okay, wait, no, that was efficient. Anyway, I think again, stra- strange as he is, utterly ridiculous in some regard. Like, I mean, Spider-Man's also a hero. He's seventeen. He's not legally an adult. He's being treated as an adult for for most intents. So it's not that I want to give Strange more responsibility. But Strange is kind of a mentor adult figure to Spider-Man. And there again, I think he's completely wrong. But I also 100% believe it. Because I feel like Strange... For Strange, it is so important that he look good to other people. That he be a hero. And I think he kind of likes showing off the magic and what the magic can do. And so the idea that he would be like, Alright, I'm going to do this for the kid. I'm not going to do this with the kid. Right. So I'm just... I've made the decision. I'm going to do what he wants. He's going to take it. You know, then once Peter starts yelling at him, he should have just been like, here's the spell. We're done. You can't change it. You kind of have, he kind of has to do that for the plot. And that's a little bit eye rolly, but yeah.
1: Yeah. I, I also kind of believe it. You know, not quite mm-hmm. as much as I believe Tony building Ultron by accident or and yeah. then vision on purpose after building Ultron like that. I totally buy here. I buy the basic gist of it. But like mm-hmm. the way the whole thing happened, I was like, oh, OK. Um, yeah. You also you <laughs> asked if my collar was popped on purpose. It is in honor of Dr. Strange, who got totally nerfed in this movie. Um, oh, fair. I fair. thought the most ridiculous part. I mean, him doing all this irresponsible magic stuff is one thing. But him getting just totally punked by by <laughs> Peter in the mirror dimension, like, because math? No. Like, I
0: just, no. I'm a liberal arts person. I know you're much better at math than I was. So I wasn't sure if you would, like, cheer for that or be like, no, that's really, really dumb. Yeah, like, I like the idea
1: of someone doing something successfully because math. But, like, in that actual context, I was like... I think Strange also probably studied some math and geometry and stuff. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, I I, I I didn't I didn't buy that. It, and you know, yeah. it was like, yeah, math, okay, great, great. You know, um, and like conceptually, but it's like this he took down Dormammu. He outthought Dormammu. Like, I don't think he's getting punked by this seventeen-year-old Spider-Man. And then if this Spider-Man is that powerful, then this Spider-Man getting punked by Green Goblin Goblin later. Like, it it, it felt like the power, like, it reminded me of season eight of Game of Thrones, and most people don't take that as a compliment. Yeah. <laughs> In terms of just sort of the writers being like, this is how powerful we want this person to be at this moment so that we get this result.
0: Yeah. No, I think it's very fair. I think it's very fair. So let's talk about where I think Peter especially goes deeply off the rails, and this was probably the part ethically, and this was the part that bothered me the most because I think are uh, the connotations of it. What did you think about Peter's desire to fix the villains?
1: Right. I think it's very interesting. And I Mm -hmm. think the villains are not all the same, right? Each one of them has been altered in some way through... Each one of them is, to some extent, a science experiment gone wrong, right? Right. And it's interesting that, like, there's that many Spider-Man villains where that's the case you know, I, that's that's kind of the case of, like, a lot of superhero villains, I guess, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's a lot of superhero origin stories. Maybe you'll become The Flash. Maybe you'll become Spider-Man. Maybe you'll become Green Goblin or Doc Ock. We right. don't know what'll happen, you know?
0: Mr. Freeze,
1: I think you could say in that standpoint. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, So, I, I think it's interesting that, but, like, some of them, it seems like their mind was changed a lot by it, and some of them they weren't. And so, yeah. I do think the idea of Fixing them, like, if you regard what's sort of, like, going on with them as being, like, an analog for, like, mental illness or disability or mm-hmm. queerness or anything that, like, someone might consider undesirable, but someone else might say, hey, that's just part of who I am. Then yeah. I think this idea of fixing someone, I think, is very deeply disturbed and and out of line and is not something we should do. At the same time, these are people who were one way and then something happened to them. And then they're another way that's maybe not the way they wanted to be when they were that first way. Right. So I think it's complicated. You know, I don't think it's as similar, as simple as this is necessarily a direct analog for something else that, like, we really shouldn't be going around trying to change people or cure people of.
0: Right. I think that's so important. And I I want to get into the individuals uh, because I think it's different for each one. It's interesting to talk about them. But just on this overall point, the difference is a big part of the problem because, yeah, I do see this in a lot of ways, I think very legitimately, as a metaphor of mental illness specifically. Because I think in some ways it is. Part of the idea is that they're all out of their minds, that they're all, by sort of, you know, pejorative uses of this word, you know, insane or things like that, or that they're not in their rational mind. With someone like Doc Ock, I think you can make that legitimate case. Because clearly in his case, it's not even mental illness. There is a foreign body that is influencing his thoughts in ways that he has no control over.
1: Right. He has a physical, technical parasite attacking his brainstem, basically.
0: And so if you want to say that he, therefore, does not have the capacity to make this decision as to whether or not he should be fixed... Okay, I, I can buy that. I think that's very dangerous territory, but I think he's the very specific case. But for the rest of them, I I think there's often a conceit, and I'll, I'll use some of my actual personal experience with, with my work. There's a conceit that there is one definition of mental health, and that, mm. any, that every person, if they were healthy, would want to be healthy. And right. so it becomes this catch-22, quite literally, of... You not consenting to be fixed is proof of the fact that you are mentally unwell and cannot consent to it. And I think that's really problematic and in our own world, gets into really dangerous places. Uh, one of my first jobs, I worked for a law firm that represented uh, mentally ill folk. And one of our biggest like uh, cases was on behalf of a whole group of people, people who are living with severe mental illness, most often schizophrenia that caused them to lead lives that the people around them thought were unlivable because they mm. were living on the streets or in very low-income situations because they were often living surrounded by, you know, in very messy situations or dirty situations. They couldn't, you know, hold relationships the way other people would define them or hold down work as other people would define them. And, and so there was an idea of no person in their right mind would willingly choose this. But our client group was those people, because at that point in time, I don't know what is happening today, and I want to be very clear, I am in no means, I think mental health medication can be absolutely life-saving, it certainly has in my case, I'm in no means denigrating it across the board. At that time, in the early 2000s, for this very specific medical situation, often the medication would put people in what they kind of described as a zombie state, you know, that they just felt numb, and they couldn't, often they their artistic creations or anything like that that couldn't be creative they hated the life that it made them live and so they wanted the freedom to to have the agency to choose this life that other people would find untenable and that they would accept the consequences of those of that life now with criminal behavior or behavior that is like deeply part of the point there is that they're not hurting anybody except perhaps themselves so of course they should have that right With these folks, it becomes a very different situation where it's, uh, okay, they're doing antisocial behavior. They're hurting other people. And I think this is one of the fundamental parts of the criminal justice system debates. You know, you've got all these movies about, like, could you fix someone? Can you lobotomize someone so that they are not wanting to perform criminal activities anymore? I feel like this movie kind of shows how dangerous that is, you know, because... Yeah, like I would like it if, you know, someone chose not to do things that are harmful to others. And if they continue to choose that, there should be consequences. And then maybe you should offer them the option of like, hey, how about if we could help you not want to feel these things? But the way Peter takes away their agency and treats them as though they're all the same, it to me is just fundamentally wrong. And it's it's wrong in this world, but also in terms of the metaphor it's building for mental illness, I really did not like it.
1: Yeah, I, I hear all that. I mean, there's there's a lot there. Yeah. Right? <laughs> the the thing that does make this tricky is that I actually don't remember if all these characters are actually, like, homicidal, if they're going around killing every be- mm-hmm. people a bunch. Obviously, Green Goblin is. Right. Right. Um, and also, like, Norman Osborn is in there. So I think that's also a, a tricky case. Yeah. You know, I mean, I think if we look at them case by case, I think you covered Doc Ock. I, I agree there you know i I do think it's a it's a difficult place, right? It's like, what do you do when right someone's doing a bunch of destructive things when someone's engaging in a lot of destructive behavior and like can you control them? Can you let someone still be who they are without doing some of the things they want to do right. that will you know make someone else not who they are because they dead? I mean, this right? is the killing joke know, debate but, but of right it,
0: it it's wrong to kill Joker. But if there's literally no way to keep Joker from harming people, does it then become legitimate to kill Joker? And to me, the answer to all that is build better security at Arkham. Like you should be able to right. stop him. But but yeah, it's, it's the same question of where does our desire to help people run up into the fact that these people are hurting others? And that's really another question I think we'll get into for sure.
1: Yeah, yeah, for sure. You know, if we look at Osborn, like Norman Osborn says he wants to be cured, basically, mm-hmm. right? And then pretends to help, or maybe is helping, but then Green Goblin's in there somewhere. So that's tricky. Yeah, and and that is because, oh, what happened in the first Spider-Man movie? Did he deliberately dose himself, or did yeah. he get? Yeah,
0: and, and here's the thing right. that I think the movie kind of gets wrong. In the first, it, at this point he is present. It's almost kind of like a Jekyll and Hyde thing, of yeah. you know, Green Goblin is all of his worst instincts, but. Norman Osborne, as presented in this movie is all of his good instincts. But the orig- it's not that the original Norman Osborne was this great, loving, happy guy. No. The original Norman Osborne was a businessman who killed the people who worked for him, who screwed up, and then decided to become the Green Goblin himself. So, like... Right. It, it, the Jacqueline Hyde thing, like, there's a line that Otto says at one point where he's talking to Norman about how he's going to be healed, and he says, you're about to become whole again. No more darker half. <laughs> but your darker half is part of you. So if you take it away, you are not old. You're about to become half again. Wait. <laughs> I, I'm not a therapist. Yeah. I want to be very clear here. The conditions that he is exhibiting are what is now understood as disassociative identity disorder, which used to be referred to as multiple personality disorder. Right. And I think you can say, in, in his case, it's in part because of, like, the Green Goblin chemicals, so it's not quite the same. But my understanding is that a lot of times the part of the thing there is that due to trauma, different parts of you have separated. But it's all, mm. like, the part of the goal is not the destruction of the other identities, it's the reintegration of all the identities. Right. And right. so, yeah. Anyway, I mean, I kind of cut you off, but I just want to go on that because that bothered me so much.
1: Yeah, no, I th- I think that 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 line really does stick out. And I was like, wasn't this a dude who was like like I feel like he was doing some bad stuff before he was Green Goblin? Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, he was a military contractor in the first place, yeah. like developing, you know, like horrible weapons, like He was a pretty
0: awful father.
1: Right, he was definitely a bad dad. He he wasn't um Octavius, right, yeah. who was I think trying to do some good things and then it just went all wrong and then he got basically mm-hmm you know, controlled by the, the by the tentacles as much as anything. I think the lizard is very clearly in the opposite camp of like, just doesn't want... To, that's who he wanted to be, yeah, right? Yeah,
0: no, he had full agency the entire time.
1: Yeah, so that seems very clear. Sandman is kind of like up in the air, I think. Yeah. Kind of like changed back and forth about what he wanted. So I think that's a little unclear. Electro also was like, no... I want to keep this power. And it wasn't like necessarily the power, like made him evil. It was like, he was mad about what happened and, and how he'd been, you know, he'd been put down his whole life basically. Right. And now he's got all this power. He wants to keep the power. If he's going to use the power to hurt people, taking away the power seems to make some sense. Like sort of like, um, energy bending or whatever. Right. Like, uh, see the last airbender. He clearly didn't want to be like helped or whatever.
0: No, I, Electro to me is perhaps, like, I think actually Electro and Sandman are the two most interesting cases. Uh, the Lizard Man is too, but he's just not that interesting a character. Right, he's but just like, not,
1: yeah, we can just. We can Sandman,
0: just... it's always been, he ne- doesn't, never wants to hurt people. He's trying to help his family, but he's put in these terrible situations. Yeah. But yeah, I don't think there's ever a case. I think he always is making what he thinks are the rational choices he has to make. Electro, if you're going to fix him, you've got to fix racism. You've got to fix classism. Because to me, more than anything, like Max, the character, before he becomes Electro, is someone who's just basically been kicked around all of his life and so has this idea of like, no one has ever treated me with respect, no one's ever given me any power, no one's ever treated me well, and now suddenly I have the ability, you know, to use my power to get those things. And in some ways it's kind of heartbreaking when he's kind of like, yeah, I guess I'm unplugged. And he's sort of like, yeah, I don't want to hurt people, but like he misses that life, you know? And yeah. I think they didn't want to make Jamie Foxx look as Nebuchadnezzar as he looked the first time, which is fair, right, you right. Know, but he's always older. That's again, part of the problem. It's like to me, like there's this thing in therapy that I learned when I was uh, a pastor called systems theory, which is sort of like mm, yeah. no individual acts on their own. Everything is part of this larger system. So for example, if you've got a 10 year old who's acting out in school, okay, maybe you can do work with the 10-year-old, but also ask like, is he not getting attention at home? Is there reasons why he's acting? Like, what's the larger systemic issues that are causing the one person to act out in a particular way? Uh, by the way, Encanto, I think, is a brilliant exploration of the of these questions, mm. and that's a whole other story. And so, yeah, so the idea that like, with all of them, but especially with Max, with Electro, that you can just fix him as though his circumstances had nothing to do with who he is, just it right, made no sense.
1: Yeah, I, I agree with that. Um, uh, th- I will say there was that wonderful moment between Electro and Andrew Garfield Spider Man about, oh, you know, like I thought you'd be black, like you're from Queens, yeah. like you know. And it's like, oh, I'm sure there's a black Spider Man out there, and like knowing, you know, having Miles Morales and mm-hmm. you know having that movie have been out already. I think um I, that felt like a nice moment yeah to
0: me. you I, know i like that both as a kind of setting up miles morales but also a little bit of a self-own of like yeah we probably should have had a black spider-man by now you know like... right 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 exactly <laughs> so going a little further on this idea of him trying to fix them i think this also gets to what is my main problem or one of my main problems with all this like power and responsibility thing is that it feels like his desire is to fix specifically the things that he has done wrong. Like, I mm. caused this, so I have to fix it. I have to give these people another chance. And I think part of what infuriates me, and this is the other big ethical question, is he then, he only he only can look at the things that he wants to fix without looking at the larger consequences. you know? So like the, he wants to fix them getting into college. He doesn't think about what's that going to mean for everybody else. And yeah, Strange should have told him, that's fine. But like to me, he basically like lets all these people go free so he can help fix them. And then they break away from him. I think he's kind of morally responsible for the things they do, you know? And like and and granted, the story tell the story never shows us that uh Osborne hurts anybody in all those hours he's out running around free. I kind of have a some some eyebrow raised, but he does kill Aunt May which we can have some talk about the fridging aspect of that and all that. We talked about this back in Jessica Jones, when Jessica fought against her mother going to the raft and then her mother did escape and killed people. And there's this question of like, is Jessica responsible therefore? To me, this feels like the same question of if you're going to say, I don't want, I want to help these people, even though right now they want to do harm. I think you still have to ensure that they're not going to be able to do harm. And if you don't, you're on some level responsible for the harm that cause.
1: Yeah, I think, you know, I think it's very different from the, you know, I'm not going to kill this person and that doesn't make me responsible for all the harm that they might cause because Arkham has terrible security. Right. You know, and here it's set up as like, oh, if you send them back, they're just going to die immediately. And so you're essentially killing them. And so they're kind of trying to make that Sort of uh,
0: connection, I think. Which also makes no sense because the whole point is they were pulled out like moments before their death. And so like as Doc Ock is falling over that cliff into the water, him shouting out, wait, no, Peter, I don't mean it. I want to be good. I think he's still going to die. Like, I don't think fixing them is going to
1: matter. Right, right, right. right. Exactly. Exactly. It's like, they're going to go back and now they don't even have any powers to protect them. So like, they're just, they're they're still going to just get killed, right? Yeah. Like, I don't know. I That, that whole thing, but like, just leaving that behind, just leaving that aside. And, you know, I mean, I think to some extent, Aunt may bears some of the responsibility in that she was like, oh, but we help people, Peter. We have to, you know, we can't just, you can't just send them back. Whatever, blah, 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 blah. Right. You know, and then the the fact that she's the one who then gets killed as a result of it and we don't see any other collateral damage really. Even though if you have a fight like that in a in a condo, you know, building, like some people might get hurt, you know? But it yeah, I mean, I do think letting 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 Osborne run loose in the lab and like I don't know, I didn't buy that. I was like, I was like, of course he's gonna be still there's no, like, he's not Green Goblin anymore, right? Yeah. Like, oh, he's got these two halves of him. But, like, why would the evil half, like, make it look like, not pretend not to be in control, mm-hmm. right? If he was in control. Like, so, that whole thing, just, like, that had me huge, just, like, uh, rolling my eyes and just, like, cringing. And, like, oh, they're going to kill someone because of this. And then they did. And I was, mm-hmm. like, uh. um, and, and, yeah, just to, like, very briefly touch on the fridging, like, I guess there were technically four female characters. One of them got fridged. One of them um, was damseled. What happened to the third one? Oh, one was mind wiped mm-hmm. non consensually. And then the fourth one was a reporter who like had a few lines. Yeah. So like not a not the best look. Not the best look. You know the fact that these are all these characters coming back from those other movies. It does show how you know male centric movies have been mm-hmm. for so long. Right. Yeah, it's a good point. I guess they could have brought back the MJs and the, you know, and the like one Stacy's or whatever, like if, if they wanted to not have it be so, but you know, they wanted these characters. They took one from each of the previous five movies. Right. Right. Like one, one villain from each. And then I like, I don't know if P- I think Peter felt responsible for that. And then that line being delivered then, like, it, it's weird because I felt like that whole thing was very dragged out. Maybe because it felt like it was happening in bullet time because I felt like I knew what was going to happen constantly before it was happening mm-hmm. and they were they were doing the fake out oh no she's okay right and then like later they're like the fake out no he got stabbed no he's okay that was like very that was kind of like the unsufferable category for me
0: yeah i i knew the minute that stuff fell on her she was dead like i don't think oh right yeah, any yeah. doubt about that i hated the fake out there i i was i would have been very annoyed if toby mcguire spider-man had died so i was glad he lived but it did also feel like there it felt like less of light he just like he got hurt like there was less of the light. right right right
1: yeah that, that doesn't bother me so much i i do i did feel it was weird though kind of like i mean i guess they didn't move on right from that mm-hmm. but like they sort of did like i don't know it just it it felt that part felt a little off to me but i i do think the question of responsibility for like when uh when tony lets if he lets someone out of the raft so he can work with them you know, it's like, well, it's, it's on him. Like who, who he's, yeah. or I guess cat broke a bunch of people out of the raft. Right. Like if they then went and like, did, if Black Widow's was like, oh, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna pop this guy, you know, just, just kill this guy over here. Like, yeah, that's on you. You know, of course we know that's not really what she's doing anymore, but like, yeah, I do think that Peter has responsibility for yeah. what they were doing while, while they were free. I mean, he has more responsibility for just being a, just a an idiot and like (laughs) just being like oh yeah yeah osborne you could just yeah you just uh you get that done i'll just turn around and not watch you and it's like really but yeah
0: yeah i definitely hear all that i think it's that and again i believe it for the character i believe that he is this just incredibly myopic like he can only see things through the lens of his own responsibility and that's why one thing i loved is that we never got the spider-man origin story we were like we don't need it and so to sort of give us the origin story at this point it's like it felt like martha's
1: pearls one more time in slow motion
0: yeah exactly like it just felt it it felt unnecessary it felt it felt strained i just didn't love it
1: everything after that i really did love though like mostly mostly the parts that i liked most about the movie honestly i like could have stopped watching it there You know, if I weren't podcasting on it two days later, and that would have been a shame because the best parts were after. Yeah, I think I did pause it and get up and go to the bathroom or whatever and come back. And when when I first started the movie, literally, I pressed the play button and I got just like a stab of pain in my head. (laughs) And I was like, I haven't had a bad headache in like two weeks. I just pressed pause and then took a beat. And I was fine. Mm-hmm. And then we watched the movie. But like if I was in the theater and I got a stab of pain in my head right when it started. And like wasn't able to be like, oh, I'm going to do Tai Chi for a minute. You know? Like I'm going to go meditate. I'm going to bring my blood pressure down. Like maybe the entire movie would have been a miserable experience. So watching it at home, being able to pause it when I was frustrated with it. And then come back to it and be like, okay, let's see what happens. You know, I, I was I was like apprehensive going into the movie. Um, but I tried to kind of just give it a, a, you know, just go in with an open eye and be like, look, I know all these things are probably going to happen, but I don't know exactly what's going to happen. Let's just, let's just see a movie. And, um, you know, I I think I've mentioned most of the parts I really didn't like already, Um, but there were a bunch of really good moments. And, you know, I'm glad that I I think it leads to a really good conversation of, of things to, you know, to touch on.
0: Yeah, for sure. It's funny. Normally when I say before, I'm fine if I disagree with a character, but generally I have a problem if I disagree with a writer, you know, where like, at Mm, least I want the writer to see the problem with the character that I see. And like, that's the fundamental reason I don't like Punisher is I feel like the writers don't understand that he's not a hero Mm. here. I feel it's interesting that I don't think the writers got it, but I I don't think the writers saw the problems with Peter that you and I do, but I still was able to enjoy it.
1: Yeah. I think it's in between a little bit. I yeah. feel like they have some sort of idea of that, but maybe actually think he's doing the right thing, even if it's questionable. Right. I don't the know.
0: fact that he doesn't get a happy ending, the fact that he, and then though there's one more right. To talk about agency. Oh, we'll get mm, to at the very end that there. thing. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, yep. Yeah, yep. Yeah, yep. Yeah, yep. Yeah. Yep. But I will say, I thought the scene of the three Peters on the rooftop and them talking to him, like them basically talking him through his feelings. Um, First of all, him saying, like, don't tell me you've experienced this. I don't want to hear it. I was just like, yeah, set mm, some boundaries. mm. I don't want to hear platitudes. Yeah. But the fact that they don't say that, they just tell their own stories, it was just so beautiful. And to me, because I I, I kind of thought part of what they were getting at was you can't feel responsible for everything. You're not responsible for everything. All you can do is the best you can do. And that, that I loved.
1: Yeah, I think that's a great message, you know, And, and I did really enjoy that interaction mm-hmm. even though what set it up felt like this mechanically um refrigerating yeah, sort of paint by numbers plot kind of device thing. yeah
0: i'll also say about that we are so used to male friendship being shown as insulting each other and making fun of each other and sort of like barely acknowledging your feelings for each other and so the fact that these three guys are basically just opening their hearts to each other pretty quickly And then even, like, Garfield was like, I just love you guys. Like, I never had brothers. I loved that. I thought that was such a nice change of how you often see male-male relationships portrayed.
1: Yeah, 100%. 100%. Yeah, and, like, sort of how... You know when when Tom Holland Spider Man is like, uh, you know, I was I was in the Avengers, and they're like, "Oh, you were in a band? That's so cool!" <laughs> so good. Like, no, but like they were like so excited for him, you know. Right. Like I, I I really I really do love seeing a relationship like that. Even I mean, even if it's all with themselves in a way, but like yeah. they, they really are different people. I mean, they have the same name, they have the same origin story, more or less. But like. They are different people, you know?
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, I, those were all so good. In fact, like, that, they didn't have to one up each other. That they could be like, oh, you went to space? Like, he was jealous, but he wasn't yeah. you know, like, oh, that sucks. You should have got like, they were just like.
1: Like happy for each other, basically. And, you know, compassionate towards each other when they were sharing their less, yeah. you know, <laughs> happy m- memories.
0: I also liked, similar to how they kind of at least called out that there probably should have been some black characters and a black Spider-Man before now, I really liked that they called out the whole thing about the web shooters. Mm. Cause granted, the the yeah. first real Spider-Man I saw was Tommy Maguire. So I just thought he always shot things from out of his wrists and I didn't understand the web shooters in the games. And then later I realized how much Tommy Maguire is the sort of exception. Right. And so just them naming that and just them being like, yeah. You all think this is weird. It's just because there's different Spider-Man and they all can be a little different. And here's his little way of being different.
1: Yeah, yeah, for sure. For sure.
0: So the last big question I had, and I want to start with... I've been talking a lot about them, so I want to start by letting you answer it first. What do you think of his decision at the very end? Where I think the clear implication is he they asked him to go back and tell them who he is and let them rebuild this connection. But he goes back and he sees that they are now going to college, which was always the sort of first goal, and that they're happy, and he decides to just walk away. Nope. <laughs> what
1: do you think of that? I didn't particularly like it. Um, it doesn't seem like a great decision. I do think there's an extent to which he could be like, hey, if such and such happened and such and such, would you want to know such and such? Yeah. You know? Because I mean, here's the thing: that person before. Had some agency in saying, I would wa- I want you to tell me this. Right. But then that person now, like, maybe should have some agency too. In terms of, like, whether they... You know what I mean? And that's the trouble with this kind of...
0: I hate time travel. Yeah, I yeah. hate mind control stuff. Because, yeah. yeah, but... Because I think you can argue that, yes, MJ and Ned, in Spider-Man's world, clearly said, we want you to come and tell us. Mm-hmm. But then you can ask, those people are people who've been shaped by already knowing Peter Parker. So does that mean that these people have consented? It's so thorny, but I think you like the closest thing you have to those people consenting was a clear yes. Right. And I think yeah, maybe if he asks it in some kind of a like, hey, would you want like it? It's hard to believe that they would take that question seriously because it seems so random.
1: Like, hey, if you knew Spider Man and then you got mind wiped and forgot that you knew Spider Man, would you want to know that you'd known Spider Man and be like, right, what? (laughs)
0: <laughs> but but him him deciding for to me it's that he's once again yeah taking away the agency from people he is deciding for them he's is learned it, nothing he, he's learned just like nothing. Boba Fett in Episode Seven
1: <laughs> like it's like I'm still gonna make your decisions for you even though I understand I was wrong before but now I'm not wrong because reasons. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I. Yeah, which is kind of um... like
0: I was wrong to make Ultron, but I'll make Vision because <laughs>
1: right, exactly, exactly. It's just like, uh, I mean, there's an extent to which people don't usually change that much, right? A lot of times, mm-hmm. people go through experiences and like learn something, but then like don't actually make changes because habits a powerful thing, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's yeah, that was that was frustrating. Um, the entire idea of that spell at the end makes absolutely no sense i'm just gonna kind of call that out like yeah okay everybody who knew peter parker forgets that they knew peter parker there's still like records though right like aren't there still all of these things videos from the day before about peter parker being spider-man
0: i mean the way this generally works is that all those get erased and all i mean it just but it's
1: but so then all of those people, basically, you could say that he killed everyone in the world and replaced them with new people who were versions yeah. of them who never had those experiences. At least the people who had any of this information, right? I mean.
0: Here's a basic question. How did Happy know Aunt May?
1: Right. Exactly. Happy says he
0: met Aunt May through Spider-Man. How?
1: I mean, he just doesn't remember that, like, that was Peter Parker. Like, he does like i it 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 just none of the sense does it make it just yeah. doesn't and and that's the trouble with these huge like world altering spells is often it's like they they did this in buffy some where like something everything would be totally different and whatever mm-hmm. and you'd be like how did literally just everything change because of one thing but then it's like the entire world isn't different like it's like now they're in a different part of the multiverse except they're not because right. that's the whole point, and it's like it, it's it's so illogical that it's just it's hard. Like I disagree with his decision. The when writing these types of stories, I feel like often like it's hard not to be so hand wavy that it's just like I oh, just 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 don't right. worry about that.
0: I I mean yeah, because I think I think these movies forget off in the butterfly effect kind of things, you know, where yeah. it's like the idea that these things are going to be the exact same in these universes, even if things have changed, you know, right. To me, one of the best examples is Norman Osborn dies in the first Spider-Man movie. His death is one of the things, it's one of many things, but it clearly has an influence on Otto Octavius, which, Mm -hmm. by the way, I love that they made fun of his name. That's another sort of like nice modern touch to looking back to the comic books. But Otto Octavius becoming Doc Ock is clearly in part inspired by uh, Norman dying. If nothing else, because now... Norman's company is now ruled by his son, and so that affects the grant that Otto gets. Right, right. If Norman lives, I don't ever... Like, there's all these causality loops that make no sense, because time travel makes no sense, and change the whole world makes no sense. Anyway, rant over.
1: Yeah, no, I I totally agree with that. Yeah. Also, here's the last bit that makes no sense. Go for it. If you're going to do a spell where everyone forgets who Peter Parker is there's one more guy who's got to forget who Peter Parker is and that's Peter Parker and that would have like at least felt like a holistic solution that still didn't make any sense but like I don't know maybe he could just wake up somewhere and be like who am I I huh you know yeah (laughs) like I don't know but it's just that that felt like wait he still gets to know who he is and what if the other Peter Parker's also forgot and now he's you know Which isn't to say that was necessarily a bad decision, because, like, I guess maybe the world was going to get destroyed, so I guess maybe you do things to try and literally save the world. I don't know. But, like, yeah, then you go and tell people who you were, because, like...
0: Yeah. They said they wanted to Especially if they specifically asked you to do that.
1: Exactly. Exactly.
0: All right. I think that's about all I had for the movie. Any other kind of last little things you wanted to mention? I I liked all the high school stuff. I liked the... You know, um, Flash, like trying to like lop on, oh. uh, you know, jump onto the secu- the, the 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 celebrity of it all. Write his book. His uh, book,
1: Could- Flashpoint, which I think again is is a nod, right? Yeah,
0: nice little dig at the MC at the DC universe, which is. Uh, fun. I don't. I don't feel
1: like it's a dig. I feel like it's a you know, it's a reference. Yeah, it's a, it's a, an homage. It's a, it's a cross comic book company Easter egg.
0: There um, you go. There of you go. sorts.
1: Um, yeah, I mean, mentoring is dangerous work. Mm -hmm. um i i feel like there's a very small number of stories where i've seen like a mentor get bumped off and it's not very annoying um and this this wasn't one of those small numbers
0: i'd say a new hope is a pretty good version of it yeah
1: yeah that's but also that's sort of like it almost feels like that's the one that established the
0: trope Mm -hmm. and it's
1: like if you create a trope it's not a trope yet
0: it established the trope at least for me fiction yeah for sure like yeah, yeah 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 The whole point, like, the, the George Campbell, George, uh, George Luke, the... Joseph uh, Campbell, yeah. What is it, What's his actual Joseph name? Joseph Campbell. George Cam- is it, are they both George? George Campbell and George Lucas? Joseph.
1: Hey, Joseph Campbell. Joseph,
0: thank you. Yeah. The Joseph Campbell-George Lucas conversations, I think, were really right. established. Like, that is a... The mentor has to die for the hero's story to be fully actualized. That goes back thousands of years. But yes, yeah, sort new of, Hope, maybe, but yeah. The way it is New Hope, yeah, definitely, I think, set a new version of it, for sure.
1: Yeah, and, and you know, it's... There's there's a few other stories where I'm like okay like honestly uh there's a thing in defenders that like for some reason didn't bother me I, I'm not even totally sure why but like it didn't really yeah you know um because it didn't feel like mechanical I'm you know it sometimes it just feels like the plot is doing something because it's so clearly like the writers are like following dots on an outline and that's just yeah. how it felt here
0: I I don't mind tropes but if you're gonna give me a trope give it to me in a new way. Red. Show me that you're doing something interesting with a trope that justifies you putting it in there instead of just putting it in because you're just going to – it's just the thing you're supposed to do.
1: Yeah, and here I felt like they thought it was interesting because it was Aunt May and not Uncle Ben, but, like, I don't find that that interesting, and it just – yeah, that that was, you know, the low point of the movie for me. The beginning was another low stretch. Uh, the end was a highlight, you know, not the literal very, very last couple scenes, but the – you know, the three Spider-Mans, like I I thought they had some great moments and mm-hmm. I'm happy I saw the movie for the sake of those at the very least and for the sake of this conversation.
0: Definitely, definitely. Well, I think it's a good place to wrap this up. Paul, I know you've been doing a lot of stuff. Uh, Where can people find uh, the Zen Madman?
1: I've actually been doing a lot of nothing for like 10 days. This This movie viewing was like the end of 10 days of solitude where I basically mm-hmm. just tried to eat really, really well um meditate like almost all day long and do some like tai chi i started a little bit of yoga but then that was like too intense and walk like 10,000 15,000 steps and uh i managed to get rid of my headaches which i guess maybe that means they weren't migraines i don't know um and lower my blood pressure like 20% hopefully i can remain not super stressed but uh i highly recommend taking some time for yourself when possible and you know enjoying life even when it doesn't mean like you know doing big exciting things i think uh yeah i don't know that feels like it sort of goes along with with this movie somehow
0: Mm -hmm. yeah no i I think that's fair i think it's i'm i'm I'm
1: zen madman on at all the places so you know Mm -hmm. you can find me there and i'll start making some stuff again soon
0: i'm currently suffering from quite a lot of back pain so i'm going to be uh doing very very little myself over the next couple days so i honor what you're talking about so paul as always thank you so much i'm glad i waited because i think you had so much to add to this conversation that i really appreciate it and for you the listeners we'd love to hear what you have to say what do you think about this movie i know it's been a little while since some of you saw it maybe some of you are watching it again or watching it the first time what do you think of peter's actions are are we thinking about it way too much you just loved the movie do you do you agree with some of our concerns about it do you think some of his concerns are ridiculous would love to hear more your thoughts Uh, If you go to TheEthicalPanda.com, you'll find all the information about how to contact us, all the information about uh, all the different things that are going on with my podcasting, uh, other things that are going on there. Please check all that out. And most importantly, have a great day. Bye.